to make sure there's a water within, within reach. Uh, this morning is going to be our, uh, well, maybe our final, I don't know, uh, installment, at least for this year, of our fifth Sunday series. Every fifth Sunday, uh, we have been doing a sermon series where we are preaching what we practice. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is, is a little bit uh, different uh, than what we've done in the past. Instead of just exclusively focusing on what we do together in this hour, we're going to kind of broaden our horizons a little bit and, and talk about uh, things that we do collectively as a body and collectively as a, as a church. And I think this is timely as we think about going into a new year. Uh, it's a good time to just kind of stop and, and reflect on, on where you're at and where some of your commitments and some of your priorities are. Uh, there's a uh, psychologist named Jordan Peterson who, by his own admission, says he doesn't work with couples a lot. But, but when he does do uh, couples counseling or couples therapy, uh, one of the first things he does early on in one of the first sessions is he tries to get a commitment from this couple that they will spend, commit to every week spending four hours together. Uh, that can be in, in involved in conversations, doing something new, going on a date. Um, but he, he extracts from them this commitment that four hours every week they're going to spend together. And he said, it's amazing the number of couples who push back on that. And they said, well, we're here uh, for counseling because we can't stand being around each other. And so it doesn't seem like a good solution to that problem would be to, you know, kind of make us spend time together. And yet he recognizes that, that there's a limit to what you can do in a counseling session if people aren't willing to commit to having time to go on dates and to interact with each other. And so in many ways for him, it serves as a litmus test. Uh, people are going to counseling because they claim they're wanting to improve their relationship. But if people are wanting to improve their relationship but not willing to commit four hours a week, he's thinking maybe you don't really ultimately want to improve your relationship. And so there is this recognition that as we, as we seek to grow in our relationships, that there needs to be an alignment of uh, the habits that we have and of the heart, the, the desires, and the longing. And I think that there's a recognition when it comes to our relationship with God that there needs to be both of these two things together, the habits that we have and the heart that we have. As we talk about habits this morning, we're going to be talking about deliberate, concrete, self-imposed, repeated actions. Um, there's a guy named Chuck Gerwing, and he says that these decisions are driven by a spiritual decision, not an environmental reaction. So you've decided in advance, these are important actions, important behaviors, important things that I want to be involved in and committed to. When we talk about the heart, we're talking about longings and desires and the wantings that we have. And I think it's always important as we talk about the heart that we need to realize that the heart is not a, a single entity wanting a single thing, that the heart can sometimes be in conflict with itself. Um, because we have these lower desires uh, for things that are fleeting and for things that are momentary. Some of you may have decided this year that you, you want to get into better shape. Um, and, and I'm going to guarantee you there's going to come a time when you're going to have conflicting desires about getting up off of the couch or getting out and doing whatever you've decided to do. And then there are these higher desires which tend to be more long-term, more permanent. And that's why we have the conflict. Sometimes what I want in the moment is different than I want long-term. And so we recognize that, that in order for a relationship to improve, that there needs to be a commitment to new habits and a commitment to heart's desires and heart's longings. So in the example that we have from, uh, from Peterson, there's a recognition that if you want to save your marriage, you need to decide whether the long-term habits are going to win out over the immediate habits. 
and that those habits must be in place. And really what the habits do is they help to unearth or help to show what really your heart is ultimately longing for and what your heart is ultimately desiring. And again, we recognize that this comes into play in our relationship with God. One of the things I think we find in Scripture is that holy habits can be rendered empty, vain, and useless when your heart is disconnected from the practice. Uh, this is a very, very common theme in Old Testament prophets. I've just chosen uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 to illustrate this. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. So there's a recognition that, that, that people can go through holy habits and participate in holy habits without their heart being at all engaged, heart being at all involved. And, and God is constantly calling people, come back with your heart. It's not just about these, these rituals or these actions or these habits, but God longs for and desires our heart. Even Jesus carries this message forward, um, specifically when he talks to the religious leaders of his time. This is often an echo of a concern that he has. So Matthew, it says, this people honors me with their lips. And there I'm, I'm recognizing these are the habits that they're doing. They're going through, they're saying things, they're doing things, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. A holy habit that is divorced from the heart is empty, it is vain, it is useless. And God never desired for His people to just simply go through certain habits or certain actions. God always wanted their heart in conjunction with those things. Well, if that's the case, then we recognize also a heart's longing and intention without any habits, without any actions. Well, that is equally vain and equally as, as empty as the other. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' largest teaching section. And often when people summarize the Sermon on the Mount, they might say something like this. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is that God wants your heart. Which is true. God does want our heart. But as you look at the ending of, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, God's wanting a lot more than just our heart. He's wanting certain actions that correspond with our heart. So here's um, a few sections that we'll look at in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, by their habits, by their actions, by the things that they do. So in, so in other words, Jesus is not saying, you know, you know, you're going to just know them by their heart. No, what we need to do is to recognize that people have certain actions and certain habits, and those are going to be important in identifying whether they are really people of God and for God. In verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does. They have the habits of the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus is calling people to action, not just to a heart orientation. And one last one in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Jesus is not just wanting people to develop a different heart. Jesus is wanting people to develop a different action, a set of habits a new way of living and interacting with others. So habits without the heart is problematic, and the heart without habits is problematic. And so clearly what God calls us towards is a heart that is inclined to God, that produces and lives out certain holy habits. 
we often will focus on the heart. The heart is an essential part of following God and what's in, involved in that. But this morning, I want us to focus on habits and the role that habits can play in, in forming us into the kind of people that God wants us to be. So, so why would we focus on habits? Well, one reason is because changing an action is easier than changing a state. Uh, people say that, that you know, humans can exist in these two things. There's a state or a mood, and then there's an action. And those two things don't always align, do they? Um, l- l- you, you wake up one morning and you say to yourself, well, I'm feeling awfully gloomy. Now, this may work for you, but for me, I find it challenging to say, you know what, I'm just going to decide instead of being gloomy, I'm going to be chipper today. And like, it's just like a, a switch. That's really, really hard to do to just change your state or to change your mood. What is much easier is to change your action. To say, I'm feeling gloomy, but I'm going to do this action. So for example, I'm feeling kind of gloomy and maybe I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go for a walk. Well, that's something maybe I'm able to do. Actions are easier to change than entire states of being. And a change of action can lead to a change in state. Do you know that, 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 that if, I'm, if I'm feeling gloomy and I don't know how to make myself feel chipper and I might go out and just go out for a walk and guess what, sometimes after getting back from the walk, my mood has changed, my state, because my, my habits ha- have affected me in a positive way. There's a guy named Mark Tipido, and he says people often ask him uh, about prayer and they say, what do you do when you don't feel like praying? Tipito says, well, I advise people to pray and to pray exactly what they're feeling. In other words, he's saying you can even pray like this, God, today's a day I don't really feel like praying. And I decided to just come to you with this lack of feeling and desire to pray, and I'm just going to have an honest prayer. They said sometimes at the end of that prayer, you realize you've been blessed and God's been blessed by that prayer. So a change of action can lead to a change of state. Actions, of course, are easier to measure. If a person decides that they want to grow closer in their relationship to God, it's it's hard to know how that's happening, but but yet actions can help to indicate that growth. Now, I think it's important to realize if we say there's a value in focusing on habits, it's important to realize there are some caveats, there are some warnings when you begin to look at and focus on habits in your spiritual life. And the first is that there is not a direct cause and effect relationship between, um, between the actions we take and the kind of people that we become. Because there's something we've been studying on Sunday mornings about the Holy Spirit's involved in this process. There's something that's work according to scientific law. I mean, I take a songbook and I drop it and guess what's going to happen? It's going to hit the, the ground. And it's going to do that every time. But when it comes to the things of the fruit of the Spirit, it is a partnership and it is a dynamic that I might do something that may lead me to the place where, where, where I believe that I want to go and I go through that process and at the end, I may not still be where I want to go because maybe there's something that God has to teach me in that current state or that current place that I'm in. So we recognize when it comes to habits that there's no guarantee. Um, we, we, we sing this song, read your Bible, pray every day, and what will happen? You'll grow, grow, grow. Sometimes. Sometimes you read your Bible and you pray every day and you forget, forget, forget. Or you get tired, tired, tired. I mean, to be honest, you recognize there are different results. But you continue a habit despite this recognition of immediate results. Uh, the second warning is that a change in action can easily be divorced from a heart longing. 
there, there's easily a temptation if you begin to focus on habits that, that, that you're just so focused on the habits and, and, and you, you recognize at the end, maybe I'm just doing these habits so that I might appear as a person of God, not because I actually desire to become a person of God. That was what Jesus warned the Pharisees of in Matthew 6. He says, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. It is easy to do habits as a performance and as a show. Uh, The third kind of caution and recognition here is that an action, uh, that you can go through an action as a goal or you can go through that action as a means to an end. Um, In in other words, it's dangerous in your spiritual life to just simply to kind of create a checklist and say, I've I've checked this off, therefore I've I've done and I've ultimately become what God wants me to become. So so here's a a holy habit that that Paul encourages Timothy and I think he encourages us to have. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting and to teaching. That's a holy habit that that God wants churches to, to have and to practice when they come together. But the end goal of reading Scripture is not to say, did you read Scripture today? He said, yep, we read, we read Scripture today. That's not the end goal. The end goal is that there might be some transformation that happens because you're devoting yourself to the reading of Scripture. So you look a few verses down to verse 16, and at the end of it says, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's a salvation that comes through it. So the, the end goal is not simply the reading of Scripture. It's, it's this growth into salvation, but you cannot have that growth into salvation unless you have the holy habit of devoting yourself to the reading of Scripture. I, I, I like the way that Dallas Willard talks about these holy habits, and he says, a holy habit is any activity within our power that we can engage in um, to do what we cannot do by direct effort. There are certain things in the Christian life you just simply cannot do on your own. That's what we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. So I cannot produce the fruits. Love, joy, peace. Who produces those fruits? The Holy Spirit. But what I can do is I can give myself over in prayer. I can yield to the Spirit. I can submit to the Spirit. So the things that I do are in order to allow God to enable me to do the things that I cannot do on my own. So as we kind of think about this new year, and as you think about how you're living, I think it's important to take inventory of our spiritual habits. And specifically what I want us to look at this morning is, is some corporate. These are habits that we are to, to share um, together. There's a guy named Jonathan Lehman, and he writes a book about um, the church, and he says, um, we, we, we may not properly understand what it means to be a church. Um, and, and he recognizes church in this kind of classical Greek context. You, you have a people, and then when they come together, they then become a, an ecclesia. Um, in, in other words, um, you ever heard anyone say, the church is not a place, it's a people? You ever heard that? Uh, Lehman would say, and I'd probably agree with him, that's kind of true, a little bit true. Because if people never get together, they're not a church. So for a church requires people to be in the same place at the same time. And you cannot be a gathered people if you never ever gather together. And so there are these practices and these things that we are to do together as a body and as a family of Christ. When you look at scriptures, there's the, the word church is used in these kind of two different ways. The first is the universal and invisible church. Uh, th- this, is, this is the church that, that exists from the very beginning until now, and there's no kind of hi- historical difference. In other words, I can be in the same universal church as the Apostle Paul. 
even though he lived so many years before me. And I can be in the same universal church as somebody who's living in Australia and as somebody who's living in Austria because it is an invisible universal church. This is the church that Paul's described in Ephesians 1. He has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over, uh, over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness, of fills him, the fullness that fills him in every way. So the universal church, Christ is the head over that church. But you can't ever touch and say, here it is right here, because it is everywhere simultaneously, and it spans time. This church will be gathered together at the end of time. That's what Revelation 7, 9 is talking about. After this, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from every tribe, from all people and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hand. That's when the universal church will be gathered together at the end of time. But in addition to the Bible speaking about a universal church, it speaks also about a local and a visible church, something you can see and something you can touch. So those who are gathered here this morning, this is the local church, the visible embodiment of Christ within this congregation. I think we know Matthew 18, 20 well, don't we? For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. God is present within me as an individual. But there's a recognition that God uniquely embodies his people when they come together collectively at the same time, at the same place. And Jesus says when that happens, that he comes and he is among his people. Paul, when he's writing the church in Corinth, he says, for to begin with, when you come together as a church, to, to, to come together means that we literally, same time, same people, same place, that's when we come together as a church. There needs to be a physical embodiment for us to be a church. A church requires a group of people who come together to the same place at the same time for different purposes. These purposes that we come together for are a part of these corporate holy practices that we all participate in. There, there's a well-known passage, you've probably heard this before, that, that as we talk about kind of the importance of togetherness, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We often refer to this verse as a, you must go to church first, or you don't get to go to heaven. Like that sort of is the way that I think we generally approach it. But there's a movement and a, 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 an encouragement that's embedded in this passage, which is it is not just, church is not just primarily fundamentally about you, but it's also about one another. See initially the call to one another, to love one another. And if we're going to love one another, what are we going to do? Well, then we're going to meet together. And what are we going to do when we meet together? Then we're going to encourage one another. We live in a terribly individualistic society that says, you don't need to encourage anyone, you don't need to meet anyone, because you can have church on a, you know, you can have church on a ski hill, you can have church, uh, you know, by your favorite fishing hole, which is absolutely true in one sense. But you cannot be meeting together, which is an essential part of being the local body of Christ, where two or three are gathered, not separate, but where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. So there's a calling and a recognition. There's a gift that we both give and receive when we come together. So I'm going to encourage you to consider four corporate practices. Um, and, and, and doing so with an acknowledgement that um, one of the things that you, Jesus doesn't often do this. In fact, I think he avoids it and, and there's some wisdom there. 
we like to know what the minimum expectation is, don't we? Like, all right, so how many times do I have to go to church before, like, we're, we're kosher? Uh, I don't think Jesus would answer that question. But what I want to do is I want to I introduce some different parts of what corporate holy habits that I think are important for us to be a healthy as individuals, healthy as a church that gives, glory, um, that gives glory to God. And hear this very clearly. There is a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt means I do something because you made me feel bad for not doing it. Conviction means I'm doing something because I have convinced myself this is an important and essential thing for my spiritual life. Please don't hear any of these things as in, you should feel guilty if you don't do these things. There ought to be conviction. You read uh, 2 Corinthians 8 through 9 and you realize Paul wants to motivate people by conviction, not by his outward pressure that he puts on them. But as you think about 2024, I think that there's a recognition that we should be committing to the holy habit of worshiping together on at least a weekly basis. Jesus uh, says, this is in John 4, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. Seeks, longs for, desires. You know what God wants? You know what would make God happy? Is people coming together at the same time, at the same place to give glory to his name. And so if nothing else, there's a motivation there to be being a part of a, a embodied presence in worship is God's looking for that. God desires that. And God wants that. So we come together on a regular basis and we join in worship because we know that God is a God who longs for our worship. And so consider, as you look at your year and the commitments that you're making, making a commitment to be a part of a worshiping community. Uh, the second thing I want you to consider as you look at this year is to be involved in acts of service. A service is engaging in an activity for the purpose of helping or ministering to another person. Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So there's a recognition that part of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, that the holy habit we are here to develop is to develop the habit of, of serving one another. Uh, that, that might look like for, for you sending texts or sending cards or making phone calls. Uh, that might look like going to visit someone and going to encourage someone. Uh, that might look like helping someone who's fixing a car fix that car, um, helping someone shovel a driveway. But, but, but on at least on a weekly basis, being involved in some way in serving one another and being involved in service in the body of Christ. Uh, the third thing to consider is, is an involvement in fellowship. Fellowship is the gathering of Christians together for sharing and having and doing things in common. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. There are ample opportunities that you'll recognize within you know, being part of a, a body of Christ, the, the holy habit of getting together for fellowship. Jeff already mentioned earlier one of those opportunities. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we're having a New Year's party. And a New Year's party is not just simply to celebrate the New Year. It is to share things in common, um, to, to get to know one another, to be an encouragement to each other. Uh, we have a dinner for eight sign-up sheet on the back bulletin. So, so, so think about what would it look like to you on a regular basis being involved in different fellowship activities as a part of a holy habit that can help form you and others into the kind of people that God desires you to be. 
And the fourth is a presence in our community. And as I use the word here, community, I'm not talking about our church community. I'm talking about our larger community beyond our doors. Matthew 5.14 says, You are a light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Again, on at least a weekly basis, looking at an opportunity to say, when am I interacting with those who are not Christians? When am I developing those relationships? When when do I have opportunity to be encouragement and be a light to people who are not a part of the body of Christ? I think that God calls us to both having a heart that longs for Him and to have habits that show that longing. So this year, as you, as you sit down and you think about 2024 and the things that you want to be involved in, my encouragement is, is to consider not just your spiritual life, but also to consider corporately. What are the holy habits I want to be able to develop to be a part of the body of Christ? My encouragement is to consider participation in at least these four things. A regular basis of participation in worship, in service, in fellowship, and in community presence. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you grace. And just remember as we go from here, we go as the church gathered, preparing now to be the church scattered. We go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you want to respond in any way, I invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing this next song together. Let's go ahead and stand.